Friday, and thanks for wait, making another week with us together here on the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Chris Henry of the EAA Aviation Museum. And Chris, it looks like we're on the homeward leg here. We've, we got over Jim Lovell's uh, fantasy of walking on the moon, and we're back looking at uh, the beautiful picture of Earth. It's, uh, it's a pretty good minute. I, I, I've enjoyed this minute. Uh, it, it seems a little bit formalized, and it has that the, the drinking game we talked about many, many minutes ago. If, if you say, if you hear the word "gentlemen," take a drink. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, a lot of a lot of great cinematic moments in it. I think uh, seeing that uh, we're coming in from the last minute of, of seeing that beautiful blue planet um, uh, you know, over the moon. And you and I have both heard Frank Borman talk about how it's when you see. Earth from space, especially at the distance of the moon, it's such a colorful object, and uh, it's just so compelling to look at. Yeah, I got chills the first time I did uh, an oral history interview with Frank. Uh, I to hear him, you know, describe going around the backside of the moon and seeing the Earth rise. Uh, there's there's a meme going around on Facebook and Twitter and everything of you know a, sort of a World War II vet telling a young kid you know, about World War II, and there's like this, you know, imaginary airplanes dogfighting above them. When Frank's talking about that, you, you did. You felt like a little kid. You almost felt like you were in the in the command module with him as he's as he was vividly describing, you know, uh, going about it. It was pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, anytime you hear those guys talk about their own, you know, I'm, all, I'm always uh, I'm always interested to hear, you know, the, the scientific or the technical data. But when you to me, where it's at is when you start to hear their personal stories of what they were thinking about it and how they describe seeing the Earth. It's just really a special moment. Yeah, it it, it does almost look like, I, I mean, the way the Earth looks in all these pictures, it reminds me of the Wizard of Oz, you know, when Dorothy opens the door and sees Oz and it's in full color. It, that That's the impression I get uh, from, from hearing the astronauts talking about it. It's like you just see this huge, colorful thing out in the sky where it, you're over this entire world of relentless gray of the moon. And uh, it just must be stunning to see. That scene with uh, where Jim Lovell holds his thumb over the earth, matching the earlier scene from about minute five, where he had done that with the moon, uh, that's something that Jim Lovell actually did. He, actu he, mm -hmm. he did compare it to, to uh, you, know, that he you know, he remembered that it's that far away. I have a story about that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, we had the Fred Hayes and Jim Lovell and Gene Kranz, uh, here in um, 2014, I believe, I got to host them uh, here in, at, at the air show. And uh, the night that they did their talk on stage, I was driving Jim Lovell and Fred Hayes back to their apartment on a golf cart. And nighttime, we had a beautiful, sort of pretty full moon. I won't say it was a full moon, but it was uh, pretty vivid in the sky. And... Uh, I'm driving, and him and Fred Hayes were talking. Uh, they were all kind of in amazement that this many people turned out to see them talk because we got a good, a really pretty high turnout. And Jim's talking to Fred, and he just holds his thumb up in the air and holds it over the moon. And he's just like, uh, hard to believe this many people turned up to hear us talk about our little Apollo 13 mission, you know, and they're both kind of laughing. 
And I'm just sitting there like I almost wrecked the golf cart because I'm just like, <laughs> like he's, I'm like, he oh my god, thing. it's just like the thing in the movie, you know. And he just held his hold his thumb up over the moon, <laughs> you know, as he's talking to Fred. Wow. Like, I don't like it was just really non rehearsed, very casual, and it obviously something that he has done, you know. And I'm like, that was probably one of the coolest things I've ever witnessed in wow. person. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's that's definitely a moment. Holy smokes. <laughs> Yeah, but just uh, you know, and that's the kind of guy he is. It's like that's how he he reckons, he reckons, the, you know, the scale of things, and uh, it's it's just a, which I'm assuming that Tom Hanks saw him do this once. <laughs> I, I'm assuming, or he at least talked to him about it, or yeah, something I believe, because I he, believe it's I think it's in Lost Moon. I haven't read Lost Moon in about a year now, and uh, I think it's in Lost Moon that he had discussed. It may have been, yeah, but I mean, and good on him for doing it though, because he really obviously does it. Yeah, know. yeah, I do like. There's a we've been talking about James Horner all this week because the the score is so stirring here. While uh, Fredo and and Jack are talking about how great the moon is and gosh, it's a shame that we're not going to land on the moon and all this other stuff. And boy, it really, they're they're all feeling bad about not being on the moon. Horner does another thing here that's very subtle. If you listen to the, to the, uh, the music, the, the key changes, it goes from an E he's, he's been playing the theme in E when they get back to, uh, uh, Jim Lovell says, you know, gentlemen, what are your intentions? I want to go home. Uh, you'll hear the music drop. It drops down to a C. So it's a whole, you know, he's on a different, <laughs> he's ba- literally on a different page. Or, you know, he's on a, a whole different key of uh, of where he wants to go. He's he's tired of this mission. His mission now is get home. And uh, it's a nice... It's a nice subtle play by Horner as to changing the mood and the feeling, the the resolution to get back and get home, and and enough enough of this lunar exploration. Let's let's go home and, and be safe. It's amazing what he's able to do with music in this. Yeah, uh, yeah. throughout the whole movie, and not just not even just this movie. I mean, I, I always call back the backdraft, and his score and backdraft. I firmly believe drove recruitment and volunteer firefighting <laughs> across the country. I mean. I guarantee you, you can go to any firehouse, watch their hero tape that they all have. They all have a, a video reel or something of training or whatever. And I guarantee you, there's horror music in there. Uh, yeah, their, <laughs> yeah uh, it is. It, it, it's it, you never hear a bad score out of James Horner, and there's, no. he's he's just everywhere. And uh, you know, it's a it's it's he was it was a terrible loss to 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 have to have him go. But uh, he left quite a, a library of, of great, great music behind. And you'll hear it in the backgrounds of everything. I mean, in any, anything heroic or epic, I think, is, it deserves a Horner score. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wish I could just have, like, Horner music follow me around. It'd be pretty cool. Like, yeah, yes, I'll the, make those copies. That's, Duh, the, yeah, that's the soundtrack, soundtrack in my head. <laughs> yes, exactly. If you, could see, if you could see what I'm thinking about, it'd be yeah. pretty amazing. You know? <laughs> wow. And he does talk about the PC plus two burn here. We, we talked about that earlier this week. I and mean, this is kind of a wrap up to, to to really what's been going on in the past five minutes. So he talks about that they're going to have a, the PC plus two burn. They've they've already gone around the moon. And uh, since it, when he's talking about it there, he said we're going to need a contingency if we lose communications with uh, with Houston. That means that he has to make sure that they've got you know on a watch or that they synchronize that if the mission lapse time goes out, when they're going to be able to burn. As far as I know, at th- at this point, they're still waiting for a. Uh, a, a sighting plan because they right now they don't have a a, a navigational in, you know th- their instruments aren't lined up the IMU does not know where they are in space so they're going to have to do this manually and, and line up where where they're at in space and then that idea of uh, Jack has to get back up into the Odyssey and uh, and 
bag up all the water they can because he knows the temperature is going to drop and it, it is going to drop mightily down into the 30s. Quite an adventure to, an adventure to come. This is one of the best views of uh, how tight things are in the, in the lunar module. If, if you've never stood next to a, 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 or, you know, the, the insides of a real lunar module, it is extremely cramped. And even, you know, in zero gravity, you can float upside down or, or hover near the ground. Every, any way you want is up. But there's just about no room for, for a third person in a lunar module. It, it's, uh, it's just an incredibly tight box. When I was a kid, I had a, uh, a diagram of, uh, of the lunar module that had all the, you know, the, the measurements for, for the floor and the ceiling and the walls and things. And I, I didn't have enough uh, room to build a, my own lunar module in the basement. But I used to lay out, I, I, with masking tape, I'd lay out on the floor how big the lunar module was, and I'd try to figure out as a, you know, as a 10-year-old kid <laughs> how to, where to, you know, how, how to, how, what it would be like to be in a box like that. It is a tight fit. If, uh, I'm sure there's somewhere out on the Internet you can find, you can find that, but if, if, if you can look for a, look for a floor plan of, of the lunar module and just tape something out on your kitchen floor, it's it's worthwhile just to, just to try it out and say, gosh, this is a this is a tight squeeze. I'll see if I, if, if I've got a if I can find a copy of uh, of the uh, of the, the floor layout. I will uh, post it on our uh, Facebook page. That's awesome. <laughs> I don't know. Did I post the picture? Uh, the, and I can't remember if I did or not. That uh, we were share, we were very fortunate to have. Uh, we talked about the uh, the bill that Grumman sent to North American. Oh yes, yes. That's Did I post that? I couldn't remember if I put I it think out we, there or not. We had one of our we had one of our lunar module uh, one of our one of our listeners sent us sent us the bill too. I think that that was out there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's it's, pretty it's, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how much stuff how much stuff is left and how much is uh, fortunately preserved. And they're in you know they're in crazy places. If you, you you know a lot of times you think that something is available at the at NASA, but it's not. You know, it's not at NASA headquarters. They don't keep a lot of the things, but it's out in museums or even in library con- collections. When I wrote to, um, well, I was I was writing my my master's thesis, and I found a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of Na- NASA publications and things that NASA didn't have, that were in uh, uh, in collections in the Cocoa Beach uh, Public Library, and it was things like you know th- they would have. Uh, uh, you know, uh, have the public visit kind of days, and this was all ephemera that you know NASA wouldn't have a reason to, to keep, but the uh, the local you know chambers of commerce and things would donate it to the libraries. And there's a just a, a fortune in um, in data that's that's in local uh, Florida libraries. Um, I spent about I spent about a week in uh, on the Space Coast writing, <laughs> doing some research work there. And it's just astonishing what's uh, you know what's in back issues of newspapers and magazines and, and just things yeah. that you know locals that had donated, you know they used to work for NASA and they donated a, co- a collection. I think their kids donated it when you know when, when dad passed away and they, they have boxes and boxes of the stuff in the garage here have this and it's just there's a cornucopia of things if if you know where to look. Well, and I think uh, my personal experience I, I don't have much, but my biggest one was getting. Uh, the call from from Frank to from Frank Borman to go out and, and accept his personal collection of memorabilia for our museum, and uh, spent uh, about a week, almost a week, I think, in Wyoming, or I'm sorry, Montana, um, and um, it was it, it was a trip down uh, memory lane and in, in, in a history lesson as we're sitting there going through this stuff, and it's it's the real deal. I mean, it's you know, in, in my head, I couldn't register that. That's what I kept hitting, like. 
I kept looking at something and I'd be like, wow, that's a really cool copy of that. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> no, that's that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that is that. Thing. <laughs> so, yeah. I, yeah, and it, it is, I mean, that, that, that collection that you have there, when you go, it, you know, if you know the stuff and you're looking at, you look at the cabinets of, you know, the, the, the cases of the different things displayed, I was floored when I saw um, Frank's uh, uh, jet helmet, you know, his, his pilot's yeah. helmet. And I'd seen that, that, the, the press picture that they asked the press picture that he had taken with him and, and Jim Lovell, it's like there's the helmet that he wore in that picture, and that's yeah. really, that's really yeah. it. And it, it's just like holy smokes! I grew up with this picture, and there, there's the thing itself. And yeah, it, we had uh, uh, he pulls out a binder, and he's like, "This was a binder of telegrams uh, congratulating us on Apollo 8." And he goes, "I brought them home, and, and Susan had archived them for him and put them in a scrapbook." And um, you know we're, we we made a wall out of it. There's a whole yeah, wall. Yeah, yeah, it's a just, beautiful, it's a beautiful wall. Yeah, but you know, and then aside from that, in a frame, he had, and he was like, oh, and, and this one's special, and it was the you save 1968. Oh wow, telegram. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> and uh, we scanned that one. He actually kept that, but yeah, uh, but we we have a we have a high res uh, scan of it. Yeah, I mean, but you're sitting there looking, you're like, wow, that's a cool mock, you know, uh, replica. Or, of this, yeah. and you're like, oh, this isn't a replica. <laughs> this is the real. Yeah, this, you this is the thing. He opened. He opened up the Western Union telegram envelope, and that was the thing that was in it. And right. Like, you know, his wow. Gemini helmet. We have his, you know, his Gemini yeah. helmet, and we're just like, I'm like, wow, this is a good, you know, training device or something. Yeah. I'm like, oh no, this is a, his <laughs> this actual is the one Gemini we, helmet. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's just, it's just astonishing. Yeah. I know. I know that they found um, after Neil Armstrong passed, they found a whole stash of things that uh, that he had had, and I'm not sure what the uh, what the outcome of all that was, but I, I look forward to seeing some of the. And he, I, I didn't realize that he had brought. Uh, nobody realized that he had brought back the uh, the telescope and uh, yeah. his overshoes. That you know, the thing that made the first step on the moon. He has the shoe. That's cool. And That's it's like, cool. it, it just had it like, in a box somewhere in his garage. And M- just, my hope is that, you know, my personal hope is is that people who buy that real, and I know they they will realize what they have, but I hope in some way they share it with folks. Uh, and I think that's, you know, yeah, I work at, at this aviation museum. I'm very proud to do so. And it, but, and I don't mean this to sound like a commercial, but I think that's what was so proud for us was working with Frank. You could tell it was important to him that people saw this stuff, that, that it didn't just get locked away, you know, in a yeah, man yeah. cave or something, you know. That, that Yeah, well, to, to quote to quote Indiana Jones, it belongs in a museum. I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, and it, do, it does. I mean, when, when you see... When you see people see things and share them, uh, I think Jennifer Lavassier would would confirm this to me. I, for me, I had a uh, I asked I asked the uh, the head docent at the time of the National Air and Space Museum, what's the what's the second question after where's the restroom? What's the most commonly asked question in the National Air and Space Museum? And people, the the number one question after that is, is this the real thing? Yeah. Because pe- people want to know that is this the real thing? Am I yep. am I looking at what ac- what it actually was? Oh, absolutely, like, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we get that all the time. We have some of the stuff we have here is the real thing as far as aircraft and uh, artifacts. Sometimes we have a replica on display to tell a story, um, simply because either there's only one. A lot of the a couple of the aircraft that we have, like this, we have a spirit. We have two actually, Spirit of St. Louis replicas. Yeah, there's a story there too. That we didn't just build up a replica and say, well, we just wanted to have our own. Uh, it was actually our replica was actually built to honor the original. Our aircraft retraced the stateside tour that the Spirit of St. Louis did when it came back. 
Yeah, boxes. and you have that you have that beautiful map behind it showing how far this. Yeah, and that's the real yeah. craft that made that trip. So you're looking at a real piece of history. It might not be it, it's representative of the original piece of history, yes. but it made history yes. in itself. Absolutely. And Mar Lindbergh went flying with us in this airplane. Wow. Um, so I mean, it it and it was done as a celebration of the original. So it is a replica. It is not the real one, obviously. The real one is in Washington D.C. However, this replica also now has a story, you know. So yeah. just because something's a replica doesn't mean that you can't have a story. Um, our P-38 Lightning we have in the museum is painted up as Richard Bong's Marge, uh, America's highest scoring ace. And uh, so obviously this is not the real Marge. Uh, this airplane is, is painted to re- represent it. However, we've had reunions with the entire Bong family. Uh, they would come down. We had 40 of them actually climb through the airplane. Wow. Um, World War II veterans come out and see it and identify Richard Bong. So yeah, it's a replica. It, well, it's not a replica. I mean, it is a real P-38, but it, it's painted to represent another airplane. But, you know, it certainly uh, serves an important mission. So yeah, and, and, and telling telling the story is the role, I mean, the, the, as it's developed over time. Museums used to be a uh, kind of an attic that people would just st- you know, <laughs> stock stuff that they, they'd try to remember. But uh, I think it, the way museum curation and ex- exhibition has changed toward telling stories because that's that's how we learn. I mean, we've, you know, ever since we, you know, cavemen gather around a campfire, you tell stories and that's how, that's how we learn things. There's an oral tradition and there's... Um, you know, a bit of theatricality that you have to maintain so that people remember things. The reason we talk about Apollo 13, the people, that people remember Apollo 13, is because we've watched this story, this movie that we're watching yes. right now. It's a story, and it, it sticks in people's head to the point that people know Apollo 11 and Apollo 13, and unless they watch, you know, like HBO series, they might not know there was an Apollo 16. They may not know of, uh, of Apollo 17, the last man on the moon, except for the stories. So, you know, it's, it's important... And I think a lot of museums across the country are changing simply because that's the way they realize people learn, people remember. Um, I know, you know, we've, we've talked with, with Jennifer, and we'll have her back on again, uh, but the National Air and Space Museum is clearing out their whole, uh, the whole interior of their museum to better tell stories rather than, you know, show 50, 60 uh, airplanes hanging over your head. Everything has a story. And, and you tell those stories every day in Oshkosh, I know. It, it's... Uh, it, it, it the way that you, the way you present the different uh, articles there, each of them has a story. And you know, I, I know we talk about not having commercials, but really, if if you get a chance, go to Oshkosh. The EAA Museum is a, a premier uh, aviation history museum that you can hear all these stories and see the planes right in front of you. It's uh, and very accessible too. I like the closeness that you are with with the original equipment is amazing. Yeah, we try to get you in as close as we can. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I like your uh, your right flyer is is beautiful too. I, I do like the the recreation yeah. there. It's, it's a fun uh, it's a fun exhibit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just it, it, it every time I see a right flyer, I keep thinking, gosh, it's <laughs> it's a scary That's, thing to do. That is a yeah. very brave. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I I'd worry about my elbows in that. <laughs> you really have to you really have to crank it to get to get uh, twisting around. But, oh yeah, uh, it, fascinating. Well, I think we're a little bit far far from home here, which well, which is the point of this minute. So that, <laughs> but uh, it's we're on the home, homeward leg now. I think that that uh, 
that scene of resolution with uh, Jim Lovell saying, let's, let's, let's get the hell out of here and go home. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty good. So uh, anyway, we'll, we'll pick up more of the story uh, next week here uh, as, as we go through the, uh, the end of the minutes, the, the, the minutes in the 70s. We'll start with uh, Minute 76 on Monday. For those of you who'd like to talk some more about uh, museums, aviation history, and, uh, and how to tell a story about space, uh, we always look forward to you, seeing you on the social media. We're available, uh, once again, on Facebook at uh, the uh, uh, Apollo 13 Minutes Mission Control. You can also find us on Twitter at Apollo 13 Minute. Uh, if you haven't heard any of our previous episodes you want to catch up, uh, go out to Apollo13Minute.com. We've got all the previous episodes there. You can, uh, you can catch up really quick. Or if you just want to do a straight binge, go to uh, iTunes. Uh, Google Play or uh, Spotify and you can uh, listen to our entire library out there and uh, get uh, new episodes hot and fresh every day if you subscribe Uh, but we'll be back here have a great weekend looks like we're coming up on Lost the Signal in about 30 seconds so we will see you next time here on the Apollo 13 Minute